Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. So quite a few new listeners on our podcast. We've been tracking y'all around the world. We've got some new listeners from Germany. So uh, guten Morgen or guten Abend, depending on when you're pushing play. Uh, We've got some new uh, listeners from the Netherlands. So uh, Dutch hello to you. Um, And uh, Philippines, uh, Philippines. We've got some new listeners from the Philippines. So Filipino hello to you. And... uh, Anyway, it's great, great that God's able to use technology and send His Word around the world. Uh, We're actually in the second week of a series called The Good Work. And the big idea of this series is very, very simply stated that you were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Now, When I say something like that, I'm aware that that can go two ways in in people's hearts. You can think, wow, I'm created on purpose, for a purpose. That is so exciting. It imbues you with hope and encouragement. And you're like, come on, let's get into it. And and then I'm also aware that, that for some people, when they hear a statement like that, you were created on purpose, for a purpose that actually it starts to kind of overwhelm you. It actually can, can, cause you to start to feel even a little bit debilitated because, because maybe you don't know what your purpose is. Maybe you've been searching for it and haven't yet found it. And because of that, this is actually more of a, uh, not a, a helpful reminder. This, this comes across as a bit more of a slap in the face kind of thing. Like God saying, get your act together. Haven't you found it yet? The good news is God has never intended for your purpose to be elusive. In fact, God's intention is for your purpose to be hidden in plain sight. It's a bit like a Where's Wally cartoon. That it's there and it's been there all along, right before your very eyes. However, you will have to look for it. You will have to search for it. You will have to filter out some other stuff that's in the picture to find and to lock into your purpose. But it is there. It's hidden in plain sight. One of the, the cues that can help us find our purpose is our spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to get into that. I don't have time to get into that. In fact, uh, last Monday, we sent out to our e-update subscribers a helpful resource from Life Church about your spiritual gifts. So if you're an e-update subscriber, check your inbox. If you're not an e-update subscriber, check your heart and uh, become one because you missed out. And that's one of the tools. You can think, well, there's certain gifts that God's given each one of us. And those are clues as to what He wants us to do because He wants us to use those gifts for His greater glory. Another one, and this is really what we're looking at through the, the story of the life of Nehemiah, is gaps or problems. That, that, that chances are that you will have noticed or become aware of certain problems and certain gaps. And, and, and those problems and those gaps that you've noticed, and by the way, sometimes they're things that you've noticed and no one else seems to have noticed, or if they have noticed, they haven't done anything about it yet. 
they're often clues as to something that God wants you to step into to actually close the gap. They can be things inside the church. There's gaps, there's problems inside the church. Let me give you a list. Chances are you already know some of them. I mean, we've got some of our teams that are uh, working at Skeleton Crew because there's gaps, there's opportunities in certain of our teams that you can actually step into. One of the problems with our teams is they all do such a great job, it looks like everything's already covered. I can tell you, no, there are gaps everywhere. Everywhere. There are where's wallies everywhere. There's opportunities for us to, 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 to be a more praying church. There's opportunities for us to be a, a friendlier church, to actually be on the front foot when it comes to welcoming new people. And by the way, the list goes on and on and on. I don't wanna keep going, I'll get depressed. There's gaps outside of the church. And you know about some of them as well because when you see them or when you hear about them or when you read about them, you think to yourself, man, how is it that that's going on in our world today? Do you know on the planet today, there are more people in slavery than any time in human history? We should hear that and go, what? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. There are People in parts of the world that can't get their head around the fact that you and I waste water by flushing our toilet. <clears throat> what they wouldn't do to actually to drink that water, I'm talking obviously before you push the button, but like, and, and here's the thing. And I could, again, I could go on with that list, a long list about the, the, the need for adoption in countries, the need for foster uh, parents in our local community, the, the rise of homelessness, the rise of opioid abuse, the rise. And it's like, but actually, if I did, probably most of those stories you're already aware of. And one of the problems is that not just that the, in our current culture, in our current day and age, not just that the problems are so... Uh, prevalent, but we're actually overexposed to them. And we just keep scrolling the news feed, keep scrolling the gram and think, yeah, you know, more people in slavery than any time in human history. Next. Because it can actually feel incredibly overwhelming. And, and, and sometimes the, the kind of the safe play is just to keep scrolling. And yet, because we're overwhelmed and we realize we can't fix it all. But here's one thing that we need to understand. We can't do something about everything, but we can do something about something. And so what's the something? What's the something that God may have uniquely wired you, gifted you, experienced you, put passion on the inside of you, and called you to do that's your where's Wally while you're here on the planet? So let's dive into the next phase of Nehemiah's story. If you've got our app, you can open the the Bible uh, tile there. It's going to take you straight to Captain Obvious, the story from Nehemiah. It's going to take you to chapter two. Last week, we looked at the beginning of this story. And here's the backstory. 587 BC, the Babylonians entered Jerusalem, invaded Jerusalem, and actually took captive all of the Israelites, all of the Jewish people, and exported them over to their Babylonian territory 
And in, in leaving Jerusalem behind, the Babylonians actually brought the city to the ground. They destroyed everything. And, and in destroying not just the buildings and, and relocating the Israelites, they actually tried to destroy culture but, because that's what was the big idea here. Destroy social fabric, destroyed the economy. And so about 130, 140 years later, about 50,000 of the Israelites were able to make their way back to Jerusalem with the explicit purpose, this was their purpose, or so they thought, of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem to its former glory, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the homes, rebuilding the infrastructure, rebuilding businesses, reestablishing family lineage, and, and, and rebuilding the walls and the gates, and ultimately, therefore, restoring the very thing that was taken from them. But for whatever reason, we don't know the full reason, their efforts stalled out. All the while, there was a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was about 1,500 kilometers away working as a, a kind of a butler for the king of Persia. And his brothers just came to pay him a visit. Just gonna go and see my bro over in Persia. So they went and, and, and Nehemiah, when they arrived, he asked them, how's it going back in Jerusalem? He knew there was a rebuilding project underway. How's that going? And his brothers said, yeah, not so good. And gave, gave Nehemiah the list of stuff that still wasn't fixed, a list of problems, a list of, of gaps. And when Nehemiah heard about the fact that back in Jerusalem, things, the rebuilding efforts hadn't been finished, this was a hinge moment for him. That in the moment of hearing that there was still a problem, Nehemiah had a choice to keep scrolling or to wonder, could I actually be used by God to solve that problem? Would God actually take me, ordinary me, living over here in obscurity to actually play a role and, and Again, stating the obvious, if Nehemiah had just kept scrolling, we wouldn't be reading about his story. We wouldn't be teaching from his example. Because it's very easy to become a critic, but not actually jump into the ring. Last week, I met up with a local youth leader here in Perth, and they were telling me a story from their church. Uh, I won't say who and I won't say the church. Um, but <laughs> they said that, uh, this person told me that in their church, this is one of those stories that when you hear it, you think, really? In their church, uh, on Monday morning, every Monday morning, there's two guys, self-appointed, uh, sent an email to the leader of the church with a list of all of the typos that had been on the screens while he was preaching the day before. And uh, this person said to me, oh, you probably got people like that at Elevate. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> not for one second. I said, number one, that's not the spirit of our people and it's not to say we're perfect. But if that's your thing, 
Like when she told me, I had the picture of these two guys being like the two guys up in the balcony on the Muppets, <laughs> just sitting up there, pointing the finger at everything that they think is wrong, but not actually jumping in to the arena to actually fix it. I'm like, really? No. The first email, if it ever arrived, would arrive in my inbox. And my reply would be, let's have a coaching conversation. And the coaching conversation would be put up and join our media team if this is so important to you and if you've got such an eye for detail that you actually pick out all the spelling mistakes where half the people didn't even notice. Well, shut up. (laughs) We're not gonna be reading about those two Muppets. And so here's what happened. Nehemiah, he started to cry when he heard this. He took the moment to say, God, is this me? This thing is weighing so heavily on me. This thing is moving me. This isn't some, I don't think this is something I'm just meant to blow past. I think maybe, just maybe, this is, I'm meant to be in this. And then he started to pray, God, is this me? Is this something you want me? Is this, is this my purpose? Could this be it? Could this be my, the thing that's been hidden in plain sight for, for decades and yet here I am, seemingly very ordinary and, and, and ill-equipped and ill-positioned, but, but is this me? He started to pray and eventually he got this confirmation that, yeah, you know what? It is. And so he stood because, by the way, you can cry all you want and you can pray all you want, but if God's called you to it, ultimately there's a call to action beyond just sitting. We have to keep crying and keep praying and then say, all right, it's go time. And so he got up, he stood, and he got busy. And let's pick the story up from there. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, that's the Jewish festival, not the... Japanese automobile, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, at the hour for serving wine, I brought it in and gave it to the king. That was actually his job, Nehemiah's job. I'd never been a hangdog in his presence before. I don't know what that means, but it'll make sense in a second. So he asked me, why the long face? It's like the horse walks into the bar, the bartender says, why the long face? Same kind of thing. You're not sick, are you? Or are you depressed? Well, that made me all the more agitated and not agitated at the king, but just like he's stirred in this moment. And I said, long live the king. And why shouldn't I be depressed when the city, the city where all my family is buried is in ruins and the city gates are being reduced to cinders. And the king asked me, so what do you want? Praying under my breath. So again, didn't stop praying. Praying under my breath to the God of heaven. I said, there's two conversations going on here. There's the conversation to the king of heaven, and then the conversation to the king stood before him, but he's doing them both at the same time. Don't tell me that men can't multitask. If it please the king, and if the king thinks well of me, send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. Let me highlight, in this moment, there were three critical things for Nehemiah to fulfill this purpose that he did not possess. He did not have any experience in the thing that God was calling him to do. He didn't have any position to roll back into town and say, yo, let's build. And he didn't have any resources. He lived in the palace, rent free, serving wine to the king. And yet God had called him to move 1,500 kilometres with no experience, no position, 
and no resources to be used by God to rebuild a wall, something that other people for decades had not been able to accomplish. And it's possible, and the reason I'm leaning into this, it's possible that some of you maybe have a sense of your purpose, but you've cropped yourself out of it because you don't have the experience. When you got some clarity about it, your first reaction was, I've never done that before. So it must mean I'm not meant to do it. No, somebody always has to go first. Or maybe, well, I've got no position. I'm not the leader. No one's asking me. It's like, you know what? You build influence and then somebody gives you the position. But you don't need the position if you've actually had first the calling. Because you've got the appointment and it's from God. And then the resources. You know what? The resources almost always come last. The decision almost always precedes the provision. That's pretty good. Someone should put that on the gram. The decision almost always precedes the provision. Now, this is what Nehemiah said to the king. Send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. Right down the bottom there. Right here, in this moment, Nehemiah had something that's indispensable in achieving our purpose, and that's clarity. Send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. He had the where, he had the why, and he had the what. He didn't yet have the how, but he had the where, and the what, and the who. Now this thing, clarity, it's actually been bothering me this year, this, this concept of clarity. It's been bothering me this year. I, 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 through a few uh, things that I've been involved in and opportunities that I've had, it's kind of been cemented for me that some Christians actually have a problem with this concept. Actually hold back from demonstrating clarity. And, and I've observed it in a lot of arenas and a lot of people and, I've thought, and I've, it's just bothered me because I'm like, why? And my best explanation is that some Christians don't wanna come across with clarity because they don't wanna appear arrogant. That if I actually give some clarity around my purpose, some people might perceive me as arrogant. And you know what? They might. Chances are they don't know you well and the problem with not knowing people well but thinking that you do and making assumptions about them is you don't understand that distance creates distortion. The further you're from someone, the less accurate your assessment of them always is. Distance creates distortion. But on the veneer, on the surface, arrogance looks very, very similar to confidence. It actually actually does, on the surface, on the veneer. Arrogance looks very similar 
to confidence. Now, confidence, the word confidence, the root words are with faith, confidos, with faith. People say, oh, that's, they're such a confident Christian. You don't need to use both of those words. There's only one type, a Christian who lives their life with faith. There shouldn't be like two breeds. But arrogance on the surface does look very similar to confidence. And some people will judge you as being arrogant when all you are is confident. And, and you don't always have full control over that, although you maybe have some control over it. Maybe some things you need to kind of shape a little bit better with your messaging. Just check out the Instagram account, Preachers and Sneakers, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Not now. Some fun scrolling this afternoon. Arrogance is believing that the power comes from you. Confidence is acknowledging that the power comes through you. Arrogance is thinking that you're somehow the source of the power. Confidence is acknowledging that in all things, God is the source of the power. You can be arrogant and have clarity. My better prescription is to be confident and have clarity. And the thing that'll keep you in check is humility. But humility doesn't mean vagueness, doesn't mean you have to apologize for clarity. Humility is where you would say, you know what, I've seen a gap, I've seen a problem, I've got no experience, no position, I don't need to have the resources, but I'm trusting that if God's called me to this, that maybe, just maybe, if I step out, if I commit to this, maybe, just maybe, God will use me. And maybe, just maybe, that's why I'm here on this earth. So God, that is my prayer. Clarity. But clarity doesn't end with identifying your purpose. Clarity then has to be married up with a plan. Let me just take us through the next slice and I'm gonna talk about the plan. The king with the queen sitting alongside him said, how long will your work take and when would you expect to return? Now I gave him a time. It's kind of like Nehemiah putting in his leave application. <laughs> I gave him a time and the king gave his approval to send me and then I said, remember, he didn't have the resources yet. And then I said, if it pleases the king, provide me with the letters to the governors across the Euphrates and authorize my travel through to Judah. In other words, give me some passports to get me through. Passport means opening doors. And also an order to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, to supply me with the timber for the beams of the temple fortress. Decision almost always precedes provision. The wall of the city and the house where I'll be living. This guy had a plan. He had a plan for the need for annual leave. He had a plan for the need for some passports. He had a plan for how he was gonna get the resources he needed to accomplish the work. He hadn't left the palace yet, 1,500 kilometers away from Jerusalem, but he had a plan. Because he knew this, and I've said this before, some of you though are new and maybe haven't heard this. It's not my original words, but you need to hear this today. Hope is not a strategy. 
Hope is essential fuel, but hope is not a strategy. See, hope without a plan is just a wish. Well, I sure hope that wall gets rebuilt. Uh huh. Me too. What's the plan? Hope is not a strategy. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is just to get organised. How do you expect to change the world when you can't even find your car keys? Oh, no, I haven't started yet. I mean, thanks for the gentle golf claps, but uh, you might want to buckle up, some of you. You know, if you're actually unwilling to get organised, that's going to be your lid. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to erode the confidence of other people. And ultimately, you're going to say to God, you know what, God, you can hand me stuff, but it's 50-50 as to whether I'm going to use it. For example, I encourage people to turn up to a meeting five minutes before the start time of said meeting. So if meeting says 11 a.m., that means you are AIS at 1055. Because we start at 11, we don't arrive at 11. And if you're turning, if you're someone who consistently turns up late for stuff, what you're telling the people that you're committed to meeting up with is that your time is more valuable than theirs. That you're willing to waste their time because you don't want to waste your time. But actually what is happening in those moments is you're saying to them, actually, I can't be trusted with more responsibility than I've currently got. So the lack of being willing to plan, the lack of being willing to be organised is actually gonna be your lid. You know, Jesus said it very pointedly. You can read this after you've looked at the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. Open the Bible. Luke recorded it. Luke chapter 16 Verses 10, 11, and 12. Luke, you can write it down. Chapter 16, verses 10, 11, and 12. One of the slices in that little, uh, Jesus dropped two pretty impressive truth bombs. Mike dropped it as soon as he'd finished. One of them is he said this, if you can't be trusted with little, who would give you more? So we need hope. But hope is not a strategy and we need to have a plan. Another pushback with some corners of Christianity with this idea of planning is, and and you may have heard this, I I hear it every now and then. Well, if we plan, we we leave no space for God to move. So I just ask the question when a comment like that is made. So you're telling me that God, who refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning and the end, that he is, was, and always has been, that he knows the end from the beginning, that he's omniscient, which means all-knowing. You, you mean to say to me that if you plan that he's not gonna have a clue what you're gonna be doing, 
But if you just plan and stick to the plan, he's gonna say, oops, can't touch this. And I say, you know what? It doesn't sound like someone who's omniscient to me. In fact, if I knew somebody that was omniscient, that knew everything, I'd wanna seek them more in the planning and not just cross my fingers when it comes to the execution. Do you know God is incapable of being surprised? Well, I didn't see that coming. What? Now, our plan doesn't have to be complete and it doesn't have to be perfect before we start on the journey. There's a concept in uh, manufacturing, product development, now in, in app development and Silicon Valley tech kind of space called MVP. Doesn't mean most valuable player, Tom. It means minimum viable product. And it's a concept where, where a company, a business, an organization would actually have something that's, that's not yet perfect, but, but, but it's above the line of the minimum viable product. In other words, it works pretty good. And they realize that we need to actually ship that. We need to actually get that to market. We need to actually put it out there. And it's only, because we, we can only take it so far in the lab, in the warehouse, in the strategy meeting. We need to actually put it out there and, and see how this goes in the wild. And, and, and by putting, it, putting out the, the MVP, the minimum viable product out into the wild, then you can start to observe and evaluate and refine and develop. This is one of the reasons that I don't buy first generation technology because the people that buy first generation technology, they'll tell you, I'm an early adopter. I'm an innovator. I like the best, the newest, the shiniest. I said to them, no, you're the crash test dummy. You're the guinea pig that that company is using, by the way, at your expense to figure out, does this even work and how can it get better? MVP, minimum five. But here's the thing. There's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of Jesus followers who never actually get going because they think that the plan has to be perfect or complete before it gets started. And here's the reality. Some of what God's called us to, we're not even gonna know until we begin the journey beyond a certain point. In fact, David, King David said, he, he said this, I love this, such an incredibly uh, helpful picture about how God leads us and guides us. He says, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Anyone heard that before? Some of you churchy people. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let me break it down for you because I'm pretty smart. Let me break it down for you. <laughs> Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The difference there is a lamp tends to be narrow cast. A lamp tends to be more focused. A lamp tends to be, have, have a shorter throw. And it's only about this sort of space. It only illuminates this sort of space. Whereas a light, we sort of like put it out there. It's kind of like broadcast. And that's what David's saying, that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In other words, there's a light of the general direction, the general calling, the general purpose, but it doesn't shine on all the details. But it's not just a, lamp, a light, it's also a lamp, 
but the lamp's only got a short range. It's only gonna show you maybe on your best day, the next step. But that's okay, because that's all you need. And when you take that, you think, all right, have another look. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Man, I, you know, I feel like this is really good. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, right. mm. oh, speaking of really good. So Nehemiah, he eventually makes his way to Jerusalem, but he didn't get into the work straight away. He actually spent some time as a secret shopper. It's a true story. And he starts kind of just walking around, not telling anyone who he is, why he's there. God's called me. No, no, no. He still wears Wally to them. He's there, but he's hidden in plain sight. Eventually, though, he said, I gave them my report. Face it, we're, we're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck and its gates are burned up. Come, let's... If he'd stopped there, they would have said, yeah, okay, again, Captain Obvious, we've noticed. But he got down out of the balcony where the two guys from the Muppets live and said, come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. And I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. And they said, whoa, hey, we're with you. Let's get started. And they rolled at their sleeves, ready for the good work. Nehemiah knew that in order to achieve the purpose that God had called him to, he wasn't gonna be able to do it on his own. I'm not sure he probably even wanted to do it on his own. I don't wanna lead a church and, and do it on my own. The best victory and the thing that brings me the most joy is doing what we're doing and building God's church together. But it took this, it took passion. Louis, this, uh, in her role, Louis is a teacher at a high school uh, just south of Geraldton, a suburb called Butler. And um, <laughs> beyond Vesper range, that's all I know. And uh, she's recently been uh, asked to do like leads assemblies now, if you're in school, let me, let me just make you feel this wave of depression go over you with this word, assembly. It's now time for assembly. Hearts sink, souls turn black. A couple of weeks ago, Louis, Miss P, led assembly. And in the back corner of the room where she was leading this assembly was the, the, the kids that should never be left in the back of the room. They should be chained, handcuffed, shotguns pointed at them, sitting in the front row, some sort of behavior modification approach. But they weren't. They were left into the back corner. And so they were naughty through the whole thing. And Louis was wild at the teachers who were meant to cage them in the front row. And uh, at the end of it, Louis led this assembly. They came up to her, Miss P., they didn't pay attention to much of anything apart from each other. That was really good, Miss P. That was really good. I felt really good. You, you sound like one of those church people. <laughs> they meant preacher, but they didn't, they don't know what, they didn't know that's what we're called. You sound like one of those church people. It's really inspiring. I feel real good, Miss. She's like, you didn't listen to a word I said, you buff heads. But they felt something. Then just this week, 
Uh, Louis was able to do a, a, a development sort of session with some of her colleagues at the school. Same thing. They come up to her and go, you sound like one of those preachers from church. She's like, really? Wow. And here's what I love. Louis will tell you that in this season of her life, her purpose is to invest as a high school teacher into high school is in the place that God's called her to. I mean, literally, she drives 30 minutes on the freeway to get, it's not like there's no schools between where we live and Butler. And she's had opportunities to actually switch schools. She had opportunities to switch to a school that's walking distance, two minute walk and said, no thanks, I'm, I'm, I'm called in this season up there. But brings to that role passion. And because of that, coupled with clarity, coupled with a plan, is getting opportunities and it's, and it's inspiring people. And here's the thing, I'm gonna finish with this thought. I grew up uh, in, the, in the 20s with a pretty significant diet of the Simpsons. And uh, sorry if that's sort of before your time or after your time, but if you're sort of in the normal distribution curve of 25 to 55, hang around, let me tell you this one and then we're done. The, the Simpsons is actually, in case you missed it, is actually uh, an unapologetic uh, commentary of, of society, and it's, it's not always favourable. Um, and, and they use stereotypes. Like, yes, there's an Indian man running the Quickie Mart named Apu. Not very politically correct, but they're just saying, we're not telling you that's how it should be. We're just saying that there's a lot of brown people running convenience stores. Okay. Two characters that they put out there that, that are their stereotype of what the perception of these two particular types of people are is Ned Flanders and Reverend Lovejoy. <laughs> and what the Simpsons are communicating without saying it in that moment is the general perception of preachers is that church is a great place to take a nap. Wait till the preacher starts preaching and then you can have, it's the best cure for insomnia that you're ever going to experience in your entire life. <laughs> and that bothers me. I've said, if, if someone is ever caught preaching God's Word in a boring way, that's my only, my, it's the only time I will green light capital punishment. It's the only thing that I think should be punishable by death. No other things, I don't believe in it. But that, preaching God's word in a boring way. <laughs> but then, but okay, so that's me. But what about y'all? Do we have any Ned Flanders here? No clarity. Apologising for everything. Oakley doakley, neighbourly. And this, this is a, that's a commentary of, 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 of people that profess to be followers of Jesus, but don't live with passion. They're not compelling. Ned Flanders would not, I presume, have successfully built the wall. I don't have a clever ending uh, and we're a bit over time, but can I, can I pray? Yes. I'm nine minutes over. I'll give it to you back next week. I, I want to pray. I said at the beginning, this idea of you're created on purpose for a purpose is not meant to be something that tangles you up in knots. It's not meant to be debilitating. It, it can be intimidating, something that God's called you to, particularly if you realise you don't have the experience, the position or the resources. 
and a lack of clarity around what that calling is at this if you, if you have a lack of clarity at this season in your life, that's, there's something hidden in plain sight. That's what I want to pray for. Okay? And then, Louisa. God, uh, this morning, right here, as we gathered and those listening on the podcast, I pray that as we continue this series, The Good Work, as we continue to drill into the example of the life and story of Nehemiah, that you will continue to bring to the foreground, bring greater clarity to the good work that you've called us to, each one of us individually, greater clarity around our purpose. God, for those that have a level of clarity, I, I pray that you continue to sharpen up the plan and that as they and we take next steps towards executing that plan, that you continue to remind us that you're in this, you're behind this, you're supplying what we need to do this. And for those gaps that you're sending us to plug, God, I thank you for giving us those opportunities that of all the people you could call, you've called us to whatever those gaps are inside the church and outside the church. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps.